Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined alongside, as I am every week, by media executive Grail Hallett and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we have the vice president of sporting business for Capelli Sports, Jason Arnold, on the show today. Capelli Sports celebrating their 10-year anniversary. So it's a it's a really it's a fast-growing company, even though I'm saying 10-year anniversary, but really it, it's a great story about how Capelli got into the sports uh, world, into the soccer world, and now uh, they're, they're doing some really great things. So it was a, a really great, interesting story uh, that Mike Wojtola over at Soccer America talked to me about. So uh, we're going to talk to the the VP of the sporting business of Capelli Sports, Jason Arnold, who is also a player at the University of Maryland. We just discovered this as we were coming on the air. I was like, you know, I'm going to pull Jason in a little bit, guys. So we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we got the Revs Arena, uh, Bruce Arena. They won the Supporters Shield. Carly Lloyd retires. Uh, soccer viewership is on the rise, but participation for youth is down. Manchester United imploding. Uh, but before all that, guys, what are we over today on Over the Ball? Sam? Yeah, I'm over any suggestion, uh, and it's been made on this show by panelists here present and guests that um, analytics and data are have have had a negative impact on soccer. I say this because there uh, have been a spate of articles surrounding the World Series right now and how baseball has changed. And, you know, that's kind of the sport everyone points to uh, as one that's really been sort of reshaped. And if you want, you know, made worse by data and analytics, you know, it's almost sure. unrecognizable. But you know, data in soccer has given us, you know, things like Tiki Taka. It's given us the Gagan pressing. Uh, I was listening to a podcast just the other day about how much data the Italian national team used at the Euro this past summer, which uh, they had not done in the past. And I think we'd all agree that was maybe the most entertaining Italian team we've ever seen. So, yes, it can be annoying when pundits are talking about expected goals at halftime. But in terms of an actual effect on the play on the field, I, I just don't think that there's any question that it's had a positive impact. So I think he's shitting on you, Grail, because, uh, you know, first of all, Sam's pretty analytical. And uh, I, I, like, I think, think those are like, directed at you. Well, uh, I like data as a supporting mechanism. It's not the be all and end all. And I think when it becomes a crutch um, to make decisions that take away from what's going on on the pitch, um, again, I don't want it to be a hindrance. I want it to be an addition. I'm not anti-data, but I think it's a balancing act. That's the way. Well, I one of the reasons I started playing soccer was that you didn't, you know, the RBIs and the, I mean, which is an actual real stat that I think works, but baseball takes it to the, the 10th power and soccer, you know, kind of got in late in the game, though there's obvious analysis that can work, you know, red zone. And I remember, like I've told the story before talking to Brian McBride about you know, the analytics and body composition. And I said, I'd have a couple of beers after a game. And he's like, no, nobody drinks a beer after the game. And they're, they all drink a sports drink that's programmed for your particular body. All these advances. I remember going to Europe when they didn't even stretch out. They were like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, well, I wish we're stretching. So, <laughs> Back in the Jurassic period. Yeah, right after the War of 1812. So, so Grail, what are you over today on Over the Ball? So I'm just over the match-by-match evaluation uh, Job status of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, who Solskjaer, who, by the way, uh, you know, has had his ups and downs as the uh, skipper at Man United. But it's just kind of like if, uh, you know, as a fan and again, I'm a Chelsea supporter, so I have no horse in that race other than just saying either commit to the guy through the end of the season or make the change the way Chelsea did with Lampard bringing in Tuchel. But don't have him as like dead man walking, because to me, it serves 
doesn't serve the fans. It doesn't serve the players and it doesn't serve him. So just either commit to him through the end of the season and then do whatever you're going to do, but don't keep, you know, don't make it like, okay, whatever happens against Spurs, then we'll make a decision. It, it's just, it. yeah. So that's, it. that's, it. well, you know, with Tuchel and, um, and Lampard that the same thing happened. They, they respond to what the fans are doing. And it seems like, um, all the big names at Manchester United, they seem to be gelling for a little while and then just kind of imploded. I don't know if uh, Ronaldo has anything to do with this. So look, hey, this is uh, all good. I think, uh, I mean, Manchester United right now, they're at like sixth or seventh in the table. I mean, it's it's yeah. pretty We, we can dire. get into it deeper later. But yeah, but let's again, bring in Jason. Yeah. Um, I did not realize, Jason, that you were a player. You played at the University of Maryland for Sasha. So uh, you you actually got game. You can talk game. You can play You can play the game. Because I we were talking before we got on air, always people are like, when I was at Sirius XM, my co-host originally was like, yeah, I played ball. I'm like, oh, all right, where, where'd you play? And he goes, my father was a, a women's coach too. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, turned out he played on his JV team in high school. And I'm like, that does not count. I'm sorry. We're, we're such snobs, aren't we? <laughs> well, no, he, he's telling me about how he took penalty kicks and all this stuff. And I finally was like breaking down his story. And I'm like, wait a minute. He, he didn't sound right. And, and that was it. So anyway, Jason. Vice President uh, over Capelli Sports. Uh, like I said in the opening, I talked to Mike Wotola just about a great story, uh, how sort of the beginnings of Capelli and how you got into this soccer space. T tell us a little bit about, about you know, how this all went down and now you're selling, celebrating 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, first, guys, you know, appreciate Mike making that introduction for us and, and great to be here with you guys. So um, it, really is a, it, it really is a fascinating story uh, with Capelli and, and our owner, George Altier. So George... Uh, originally from Lebanon, immigrated in the late 80s with his brother, um, pretty much had nothing and, and started a fashion company. If you fast forward 33 years later, it's the largest privately held fashion company in the world. Um, and then 10 years ago, they started a sport division. So while the sports side is really is young, we're celebrating 10 years, as you just said. Um, George has been in manufacturing for, for 35 years. So um, he knows that business. It's a plug and play model as, as it relates to manufacturing. But George is a passionate guy about soccer and football. And um, really believes in giving players opportunities and young players. So while, while we're in the manufacturing and the apparel sports side of it, we do have this sport management component side where we're providing players opportunities here in the U.S. through youth clubs um, that, that we own and operate, as well as through, through Europe opportunities that we have. So, George, though, how did he first get involved in soccer? Wasn't it his daughter or something? He just sort of stepped in as like a, just a dad just trying to do his part? Yeah, George has five young boys. Uh, and so when they were getting involved, you know, ultimately he decided, hey, I want to want to start my own youth club here. But when it was time to, to get the uniforms, he decided, let's go to our factories. Let's get the color I want. I need them pretty quickly. So let's go make the uniforms for the kids. So it started out pretty small with five teams and, you know, five teams worth of uh, equipment has now grown to, to over 3,000 players. And the brand now is is pushing 250,000 players here in the U.S. So it's uh it's grown quickly and all really started from something small uh, where he's taking care of his kids and then seeing the opportunity that, hey, there, there's something here. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's an awesome it's pretty story. cool having a dad who can make the uniforms. <laughs> exactly, yeah, <laughs> and of high quality, you know. Like, uh, you know, I know in my high school, our soccer coach, he was from Portugal, he sewed our soccer uniform because there was no money left over from the football team. So, but And that's what it reminded me of, um, Jason, because it's like sort of the passion is there. And, you know, as a player that, that this sport is a lot about passion and also about trying to spread the word 
Um, and he's involved. The own, uh, they, you guys, Capelli Sports, own a couple of teams in Norway or Denmark. Where is it? I, I yeah, it's actually several, uh, several throughout Europe and, and a club in Africa as well. But I, you know, just to echo your point, Kevin, I think passion is is a key word for us and for George. I mean, that's it's a lot of hard work, a lot of time, a lot of effort. He's he's busy enough as is, but but adding the sports side, it's definitely driven by passion, which makes it a lot of fun for for us. Um, <laughs> Now he's, the, running, the, he's running a business and he's got five boys, man. They're probably breaking <laughs> everything around the house. Oh, yeah. oh, they've, they've got their hands full, I'm sure. I, um, I grew up with three sisters, but I said when, when I went over to my buddy's houses who had brothers, it was like pandemonium, breaking shit and you know, furniture and the mother yelling. Uh, my house is a little more sedate with the sisters. Uh, Grail, you got a question for Jason? I do, Jason. Uh, welcome. It's great to have you on. Uh, you, you mentioned the uh, kind of the facility side of your business, you know, and the naming rights of the the stadium for the Rochester Rhinos and the various sports centers that you have around New Jersey and Orange County, New York and stuff. Can you talk a little bit about what that play is about? Is that a separate revenue stream? Is that a branding opportunity? Is it a combination of both? What is that side of the business about for Capella? Yeah, def definitely both. I think, uh, you know, if we talk about Rochester specifically, you know, a few years back, we had a great relationship with them through an apparel partnership. And through that, we were able to acquire the stadium naming rights. So that was simply a, a branding play, a way for us to support that club. Um, our facilities in New York, New Jersey, those are a little bit of both, right? They, uh, they house our Cedar Stars Academy where they train daily. We rent those facilities. George owns and operates those facilities. So it's, so it's a business play. It's a real estate business play. But at the same time, we're really passionate about providing places to play for our players, um, especially in that New York, New Jersey area. It's, it's very limited. So being able to have a, a home for our players to go to every day and every night um, is really important for us. So, so that kind of ticks a few of the boxes for mm -hmm. us. Um, we have Capelli Sports Stadium in Denmark as well part of uh, the club HB Koga that George and Capelli Sport owns. Um, again, it's a city city owned stadium, but it's Capelli Sports Stadium. We've been fortunate enough to put a lot of really great branding uh, around that. And it's obviously a great facility for, for our club and our players there on the ground. Works for everybody. Uh, Sam? Um, yeah, Jason, I'm curious from a cultural standpoint, you played in college, uh, obviously. And, you know, I'm sure we all have a story of wearing soccer gear at some time in life and kind of getting made fun of for it. Um, or maybe that was just me, but, uh, you know, over <laughs> the last, you. <laughs> never happened to me. But, uh, you know, I'm just there curious, goes over, Sam and his Sambas <laughs> over the last decade, sort of how you've seen soccer kind of make that leap into like a lifestyle brand and be accepted sort of into the mainstream or, or maybe that's just my, you know, wishful thinking, but yeah, no, absolutely. I, I remember those days too. And, uh, you know, some of the, some of the bigger brands that have been around longer, I think kind of started that trend, you know, years ago to create the lifestyle, maybe on the back of some of these major clubs, Barcelona, Manchester United, creating, you know, that, that side of the business. So it's, it's an important piece. Um, it's something we've gotten better at the last few years. So it's, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to have stuff for, for off the field for us to wear. Um, but it's definitely been a, a culture shift. And I think you see that even for, uh, you know, non-soccer players, right? It's become a way of life for some of these brands. You see it on celebrities a lot, nothing to do with soccer, but they're going to wear that Barcelona jersey or that Manchester jersey. So it's definitely um, cool to see it come into a, to a lifestyle side. Now, has this been fun to you to sort of stay in the soccer world? Because, you know, you, you play at Maryland and, and then the career's over after a couple of, you know, the four years. And uh, but you stay in the soccer sphere. Did you set out to do that or, or did you just sort of stumble upon this? 
Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, super fortunate to, to be able to stay in the business. It's, uh, it's not an easy business. It's a lot of hard work, as you guys know as well, um, but fortunate to be here. And I, I think it's uh, a little bit of a focus trying to make something happen, a little bit of uh, good luck and fortune as well. Um, and being, being fortunate to, to, to meet George and get an opportunity to work in his organization has been great. And I get to do a lot of, uh, a lot of great things. It comes with a lot of hard work, a lot of time away from home. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, it's worth it in the end for sure. And it's, you know, uh, University of Maryland, I think Under Armour started there too, as well with uh, Kevin Plank. So you get uh, some good pedigree with in this field. So tell us a little bit about Sasha playing for Sasha. He's had such great success over the year. He's a friend of us, of ours here on the show. Um, what do you, what was it like to play for, for Sasha? And what do you think the reason for his success is? Yeah, I think, you know, great playing for Sash. Sash is a, is a demanding coach. Uh, and looking back on it, you know, having stepped away from it, matured more, looking back on it, you really can, can appreciate what he's done, you know, individually and for the team. And maybe at the time you didn't agree or feel it was the right oh, way nice. as, a, as a silly college student. Uh, but definitely looking back, you can see some of, uh, you know, the, the goals and the focus that he had. But it was excited playing for him. We had uh, some pretty good experience good success there. Um, I've definitely noticed after a few, few national championships, he, he's dialed it back a little bit, but uh, it was a he lot of fun that, playing there. He got that uh, monkey off his back. So that's right. Uh, Grail. That's right. Yeah. So Jason, the four of us all played college soccer and we're obviously big fans of it. I'm just curious what your point of view is. You know, one of the things that we're always disappointed in is that college game doesn't get enough due and isn't, uh, isn't, part of the feeder process for the professional game over here. I'm just curious what your thoughts are as somebody who's kind of inside that world. Yeah, it's, I think it's hard to, to compare the two. They're not really apples and apples, right? If, if, you're, mm -hmm. if you're on a professional pathway, um, you know, that, that's one focus and you kind of compare yourself and look at what, what's happening around the world. And you've got players that, that hit that pathway at a much, long, much younger age. Um, college provides something a little bit different. I think it fits into that same pathway. It's just a different different way of getting there. Um, if you look at, especially with the business we're doing with our, our professional clubs in Europe, and even you look at facilities, uh, the, the facilities and the resources that the colleges have here in the U.S. are, are unmatched globally. So these, these, these student athletes are coming through unbelievable uh, programs to help them develop on and off the field. Um, so you've got to get a ton of credit to what that structure is. Um, you do miss a little bit, I think, when it comes to amount of hours on the field, games, some of that structure that maybe is being done on, on different professional pathways. But to be able to find a player at, at the age of 22 coming out of a four-year top program, um, having had those resources to develop, um, really puts them in a special place too. You don't find many 22-year-olds that are not assigned to a contract somewhere. So it's a, it's a lot of moving parts, but I do think they can complement each other very well. Grail, will it follow? Yeah, yeah. So just getting back to your business, Jason, uh, you guys obviously made the calculated decision to kind of carve out a niche in soccer. And I'm just curious, you know, from like, a, I guess, from a branding and marketing standpoint, how you differentiate. It's, it's, a, it's a crowded space. There are a lot of big players. You know, obviously you want to uh, be as successful as you possibly can. And you've done really well over 10 years. But how do you how do you kind of strike that balance between wanting to be popular to a lot of people, but but also wanting to resonate with a core group of people? Yeah, I think what's what's important with us is is really the service we provide. We're, we're a privately held company, which allows us a lot more flexibility to work with our partners, um, customizable 
making things work for them. Every club is different. Every market is different. So that gives us a lot of room there. Um, but I think what's really key for us is the, the resources and assets we have in Europe. So we, we have five professional teams uh, that we own and operate on a daily basis. They've got to operate. They've got to sell tickets. They've got to be standalone professional clubs. But how do we use those assets now to support our partners here in the U.S.? And I think that's really what's going to separate us. And we can do that through uh, player opportunities, team training camps, um, you know, we bring in cultural aspects to that. Of course, there's coaching education. So there's a lot of other things that we can provide outside of just the apparel piece um, that really creates true partnerships with, with the partners that we have already. I actually think it feels like soccer was probably the first on the block with the whole wearing the stuff as a lifestyle choice. You were going to the soccer coaches conventions. Everybody was in the flip-flops with the mullet and the, and the, the sweatsuits and everything that they would wear. And then suddenly it became like very hip to, to wear, you know, all that stuff. And now we're talking about the, the guys on, what is it? Uh, on Paramount plus now that all they do is talk about their sneakers and, and everything else. It's like, it's become a huge, huge thing. And uh, it's a kind of a, Suddenly the hipsters are into soccer gear, you know, when it used to be soccer nerds or real players coming back from practice, which was rare. Um, but now, uh, now it's a real lifestyle choice. So that's, that's good. You see, you see these, uh, it's pretty cool to see these big clubs coming out with third and fourth kits as well. Oh, yeah. are, you know, the designs <laughs> yeah. that are there, there's some pretty, pretty special stuff out there. It's really cool to see. Yeah, it's always odd when I see Liverpool in yellow. It's just, uh, it's just a strange, strange look. So, uh, all right. So, Good stuff over Capelli Sports. Um, you want to stick around? We're going to talk about some other stuff. You want to jump Absolutely. in? Absolutely. You want to jump up? Okay, cool. Well, so, let's do uh, it. You know, because you're you're a businessman. We we don't have jobs. The three of us. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we'll get your thoughts. Uh, what what are your thoughts on Manchester United and what's happening and the implosion that they had against Liverpool? Oh, you know, I, I agree with Grail on this one. I'm, I'm a United fan myself, so it's, are it's a you? Bit you tough, poor bastard. There you go. But I think I think you got to commit. You got to go one way or the other and, and stop all the nonsense in between, and, and and let's let them get on with the job. Obviously, they're going through a bit of a tough tough patch, but uh, I, there's they got top stars there. They've got a million resources and and real strong professionals. So I'm sure they'll find a way to turn it around. You know, it's, I always find it interesting, and I've said this before on the show, guys, it's at that level of coaching and with those stars, you're basically a psychiatrist. You're, you're, you're barely doing X's and O's. You're trying to figure out who's going to mesh with who. And I think when you have someone with like Ronaldo, um, you suddenly have almost like a Michael Jordan talent on the field. And if, if he tries to play too individually, guys aren't playing well as a team, as a unit. And that's what I feel what was happening. I feel like before he got there, uh, Fernandez was kind of running that midfield and, and you know, breaking lines with through balls and everything. And uh, they seemed like they were doing okay. So uh, he hasn't scored, what, four goals, four games, I think. So, um, but, uh, but, uh, but, but, uh, but uh, I'm sorry, Jason, didn't mean to cut uh, off. The, the one thing that just isn't working for me as an impartial observer is they don't have a style. And the thing that makes Man City work is they have a set style and they can plug players in coming off the bench to play that style. Everybody can play the style they play. And the problem with Man United is you've got a lot of talented players who play different styles. And Man United hasn't really, in, from my perspective, hasn't adopted a set style. So you can't just have guys come in off the bench Liverpool's has a style too. And every one of their players that comes on can adapt to that. And I just, I feel like tons of talent on Man United, but not cohesion, not chemistry. And if they can find that, they'll be great. But I just, you know, that seems to be wanting at the moment. All right. So uh, other news, this kind of surprised me. Grail, I think this was your news item, but the Aspen Institute project play report on youth soccer. 
Um, so obviously we're watching a lot more soccer on television, but they say that between six and 12 year olds, uh, it's dropped, um, I don't know, 43% decline over 10 years, which I find very surprising. Yeah. I mean, obviously the last couple of years, it's been incredibly affected by COVID. Oh, that's just true. In that's terms true. Of, just in terms of organized sports. And, and, and to be fair, every um, traditional sport in this report showed decline over those years. Um, other than basketball, which was up about 5%, but soccer was down precipitously. And that has mm-hmm. to be a concern for people in new sports. But now, again, maybe it bounces back in the next year or so, but it would be hard to imagine kind of getting back to where they were with that kind of decline. Yeah. My basketball yeah. buddies tell me that the participation is off. They thought with basketball, because, uh, you know, almost like soccer, they have all these AAU groups and so nobody's playing high school basketball anymore and, and things. Mm-hmm. I, it's interesting. I, it seems like the youth now is, um, is just, I don't know, playing video games and Twitter and Instagram and not getting outside as much as we did. I mean, my mother told me, you know, summer vacation would start. She'd be like, all right, go outside. See you in September. Adios. So uh, Sam, what are your thoughts? Well, I, you know, I looked up the numbers for Italy and the number of kids playing soccer now is in this country at that age group is still considerably higher. So I don't think it's a numbers problem on the whole. And I'm going to take a different tack also in that, you know, I think a lot of people for a long time looked at soccer as this like fun thing to send their kids to do and they'll run around a little bit and get some exercise and whatever. And I'm hoping that now maybe people look at it a little more seriously early on and it's a little more, you know, I, I know I'm going to sound, well, I don't know what I'm going to sound like, but maybe it's like a little more intimidating for these kids to get involved in something that's not just like a fun kind of deal. Jason? Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, you got you to respect the data that's there, but I can tell you, you know, from our experience and our partners, we've got about 250 plus, you know, youth clubs across the country here. They're growing. Of course, they were all impacted during, during Corona, um, but, you know, we're in that process of forecasting and looking at numbers with them. And, uh, you know, they, they've all been growing from our experience. So I think that's, you know, it's an interesting data point to consider as well. You know, as we get more competitive, as we start to produce better players, I think the one great thing about soccer is that you can play late in life, um, you know, like, mm-hmm. like tennis. And I think I'm starting to see that more because guys, as we all know, as former players, it's like nothing better than to play a little 4v4 with some guys who know how to play. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's just a great game to take with you into your older older years. And in Grail's uh, case, much, much older years, you know. <laughs> Seven to seven, seven is nice. <laughs> 77. Yeah. I mean, there's also the catch 22 of, you know, like, as you just mentioned, Flinny, we talk about a lot is just having balance. You know, a lot of kids are really good players at age eight. And then by age 12, they've just lost interest because it's been beaten into them for so long and the joy goes out of the game. So, you know, I, I think it's nice to play different sports and not play the same sport, just the same sport 12 months a year. It's good to have variety. Right. All right. So, uh, all right. So Bruce Arena, um, guys, it's a great coach. Unbelievable. I think, you know, a little bit of tarnish because of the last World Cup, but I, you know, we've talked about it on this show. He inherited that from Klinsman the last go round, but uh, wherever he goes, he wins. And um, here they, New England, could this be New England's year, Sam? Uh, I, you know, I, I've not seen a lot of MLS. I'm not going to comment on this. Good for him. I'm glad they won the Sporter Shield. Let's get a new stadium. Then I'll pay attention. Oh, I know. Yeah. Cause you're from the new England area. And by the way, Jason, if it's not, um, Italian centric, Sam seems to just drift off into space. He's a Syria <laughs> guy and Grail. It tends to be Chelsea. No. So they set the record last night that they want, they beat Colorado one nil. They've got yeah, 73 points is the new MLS record for points. It's I think it's the fourth 
consecutive year other than the COVID year where the record's been broken. Um, so that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like Arena's the guy that can bring order to chaos. He's the guy who's great to come into a situation, you know, stabilize things, then get them moving forward. But I feel like he's got like a little bit of a three to five year expiration date on him. And at some point he starts annoying people over time, but you can't argue with the success of him going into places and turning them around. I also think there's a respect part that comes with being Bruce yeah. Arena with, you know, that you get a lot of do from the players, which I think is to go back to Man United and, and everywhere else, it's tougher and tougher to get that when you've got these, these guys are multimillionaires at, at 18 years old. It's just tougher to sort of, you know, fire them up. I told you a story about, um, so the kid coach Calipari at Kentucky, you know, he once spoke and he said, you can yell at professional players maybe twice a season, three times, but that's it. College kids, he goes, I'm up in their face every day, you know, kind of it's an easier motivation. Uh, so, um, so, all right. So Carly Lloyd retires. Uh, you guys are involved in, in, uh, in women's soccer quite a bit, Jason. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, we're fortunate to, to be making some really strong and positive impacts on our side with it. You know, Carly had an, an unbelievable career, um, you know, can't last forever. So that, that time was, was bound to come. So big, big hats off to her. I think she's done a fantastic job, not only on the field, but, you know, helping bring up women's and, and, and girls youth soccer. I think there's, there's a lot of room for growth in that space. We're, we're fortunate to play a little bit of part of that in, in Europe, our, our Danish club, HB Koga. Um, we won the league last year. We're in champions league. We hosted Barcelona two weeks ago. I get to head back over next week to, to our home game against Arsenal. So we drew a, a tough group ourselves, but, uh, it's fantastic to see how much uh, support the, the women's game is getting and how much it's growing. There's still a lot of room to grow with it, um, but it's exciting to see the progress it's making. So we're talking about Manchester United imploding. Barcelona, what is the story, guys? What, uh, what are your thoughts on that, Grail? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm glad they made the Coleman decision because, again, it's kind of like the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer decision. Just They said they were committed to him through the end of the year. But I just felt like that was going in a bad direction and just. Oh, that's ended. been going in a bad direction. They're no, a hot I know. mess I, I, over I, I, there. No, no, I know. But I'm just saying to prolong it um, with the pressure that he was under. And also it's, it just starts off. You could, the players just seemed so distracted. So well, very are, important man. who they get, though. I mean, the, you know, the next step is who are you going to bring in? You're going to bring in Javi. Javi, uh, I think it's going to take it, right? You know, Roberto, Mart Roberto Martinez. I mean, you got to bring in. You better have a good plan B. That's all I can say. Well, Javi right. would be the same thing as, uh, you know, uh, Lampard and Chelsea. There's a, a legend coming in. That's tough to coach yeah. that way and coming right into coaching like that. Sam? Yeah, I thought it was interesting that we didn't even mention that this game was happening last weekend. Um, no, Classico? Yeah, I just sort of think it shows how kind of far that the stature of that game has fallen. But um, more sort of to on a U.S. note, I was really surprised to see Serginho Dest start this game as a right forward in a 4-3-3. That's a position I've never seen him play. He's done that the last two matches. He had for Barcelona. Yeah, Barcelona. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he switched to right back, you know, as the game went on. And I, I don't know. He, he seems to be like a pretty foundational player for the U.S. national team. And I, I just wonder if it's really like, does anybody know where he's supposed to play uh, at Barcelona on the U.S. national team? And maybe it's right. a good thing. He's versatile, but I, right I don't know. Right. I mean, to me, right backs is preferred position just because he's got the speed to, you know, to do like the Alfonso Davies thing. He can come up the flanks and uh, you know, 
but but I think I think Barca's been so challenged to get uh, goals in offense that it was just kind of a, almost like a last resort. Let's put him up front because he's one of the fastest guys on our team. He's got wheels, that's for sure. Yeah, but I think right back is like a great position for him because you yeah. can just really exploit his speed. Well, you can exploit it on the left as well, and I think the reason why uh, Burhalter has him on the left sometimes is just. Uh, you know, he can play either side and they don't have any better on the right. Though, I think. Yeah, of course. But yeah. I think when you're, and I think offensively he was on the, he played in the right, cut it in and, and hit that cannon uh, yeah. the upper corner. Uh, so you follow the national team a lot. I'm sure Jason, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think uh, the, the right back spot is probably the, the best place for him for the national team. I mean, you may have a new coach coming into Barcelona now, so it'll be interesting to see what changes might be coming for him there. But you mentioned the rocket that he scored, but man, he missed a sitter last week too. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that could have changed I mean, that game. Any of the four of us, I'm willing to go to limb. Any of the four of us could have buried that. <laughs> yeah. Club new. No doubt. Come on. It was yeah, but we've all whiffed on one, Jason, man. We've Jason, all whiffed on one. Was it eggs Benedict on a silver platter or what? <laughs> Maybe we could have tucked it in, but uh, all the other <laughs> stuff we had no chance of doing. <laughs> yeah, of course not. <laughs> well, I, I scored an own goal in my first college game. It wasn't fun. So it, it happens, happens to all of us. All right. So, uh, what else we got? We got some questions for. Well, we don't have a quiz this week, uh, Sam. Right? No, drop the quiz. I was hey, funny. I was just going to mention my trip up to uh, Neskak land. Okay. I uh, I did my pilgrimage up to. Uh, you know, obviously I had a couple years off because of COVID, but went up. You know what Neskak is, Jason? I don't. You know, the, the Neskak conference, which is the small D three schools. I went to Middlebury yeah. and Williams and Amherst and suffering. They're so. D three guys, Jason. Yeah. You and I. Can I know. Talk I, I was. I was waiting. Hugh, Hugh Flinney to insult <laughs> Sam and me for going to D three, and Jason, do not take sides with Flinney. Um, <laughs> I'm neutral. <laughs> yeah. So in any case, I went. I went up to see Middlebury play Trinity, and I'm happy to report Flinney because the last time you and I saw Middlebury play oh, at Wesley a few watch. years ago. Yeah. Very physical, lots of long balls, not a lot of playmaking, et cetera. Right. There has been significant progress. Middlebury was playing it out of the back. They were playing possession. They had a mm. couple guys up front who were highly skilled. I was, I kept thinking like, I can't wait to tell Flinney because he was so disappointed the last time we went. And I feel like uh, coach Alex Elias has made some real strides and they're playing good did you, soccer. Do you talk to him after the game? I did. Why, what did he talk about, about the buildup and what's, what's changed? Well, no, I really? just said, I just noticed. He goes, yeah, we're really, they have four really composed guys playing in the back and they're just comfortable getting it out. They have a great keeper, which obviously helps a lot, who can, you know, is good mm. with his feet. Yeah, but it was, um, it was Amherst basically had that coach, the English coach. I forget where he get, he went, but um, he was had a lot of success at Amherst, but basically yeah. just long ball, a couple of tall yeah. Englishmen long tufts. throw-ins you know yeah, oh, he, yeah is, he was a tufts that's what well, yeah. yeah well tufts is the standard in that right. in nescac right now they're the team to beat there so you play to win and you don't develop you know the better player so well, it's I, good to see there's some progress there i gotta think a year off probably helped a lot of these teams too right i mean you never have any time to train and do anything during the season and kind of work on greater tactical patterns and stuff i mean having a whole fall to work on that i think would would really definitely make a big difference. and this was and also sam to that point this is alex's third year you know as the head mm -hmm. coach so he kind of missed half of it a lot of it with covid just kind of implementing his system so to speak so i think it, it took a while but uh yeah, they, it, it was good watching Sam. I should mention that uh, Middlebury takes on Wesleyan this Saturday in the quarters of the NESCAC tourney. So offline, mm -hmm. we can place a uh, $10,000 bet. 
Yeah, he's going to bet on, a little money on your yeah. little D3 extravagance. <laughs> exactly. Jason well, and I will be watching some, we'll be watching Clemson in Maryland or something. Yeah, like of course you will be. Yeah. Um, all right, guys. Well, good stuff. I It will be on the East Coast next week. Uh, that movie role, I finally came through. So I'm in that movie, uh, The World's Greatest Beer Run. And so now, uh, Jason. That sounds like a really uh, high, well, high, highbrow intellectual <laughs> endeavor you're on. It's yeah. actually based well, on a true story about Shakespeare. <laughs> About, uh, uh, true story about uh, sorry, I'm board meeting after this. A true story about a guy who was on the, in the Merchant Marines, and he brought six of his buddies from the neighborhood a six pack of Pabst Blue Ribbon. So he went to Vietnam, and it was like it's like a crazy story. So anyway, um, I was Jason to keep you up to date on it. I was supposed to go to Australia to shoot this movie. It's a Russell Crowe movie, and then it was supposed to be New Zealand, and then it was Thailand, and now I'm going to New Jersey. <laughs> so hey. a little downgrade, but uh, so it's opposite Zach Efron. So it'll be fun. So I'll let you guys. That's fantastic. Up. That's exciting. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. And we're all going to be wearing Capelli sports tops. So it's going to be nice. There you go. Product placement. Well, I want a shameless pitch to get to have Jason send you something. <laughs> here. I, to be fair, I already made a note over here to get you guys some stuff. So, oh, okay. some stuff yeah. heads up. so I beat him to it. I beat him to it. <laughs> Good stuff, man. So, all right. Well, Jason Arnold, we appreciate you joining us on Over the Ball. Didn't know you were a player, man. So that was a that was a pleasant surprise. Thought you were just a Love businessman. It. You know, many people consider Grail a businessman and not a player. So <laughs> it's an interesting combination. We're glad you had you on. Uh, that's all the time we have on Over the Ball today, everybody. For Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. I'd like to thank our, our guest Jason Arnold, VP over at Capelli Sports. You guys are doing some great stuff, and uh, keep it up, brother. Thanks so much, guys. Okay, we'll talk to you next time on OTB.